Welcome to Bookish at Bethel. I am Anne-Marie Koyster in the History Department, and I am joined by... Carrie Peffley in the Philosophy Department. This week, instead of having a guest and a new book to discuss, Carrie and I um, are going to chat a little bit about the books that we've read over the course of Humanities 1 through 4, because we are just finishing up Humanities 4. And so this is kind of a retrospective on the Humanities program, and we hope you enjoy it. Carrie Puffley, we have read a lot of books over the course of Humanities 1, 2, 3, and now 4. Yes. And so um, I am wondering if you would be willing to start us off by talking about, first of all, your favorite book from Humanities 1 and why it is your favorite book. Mm -hmm. So my favorite book from Humanities 1 is maybe not surprising to many listeners and certainly not to my students, but it's Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. I love it, not because it's a scintillating read, because Aristotle is dense and we're reading lecture notes, so it veers off into strange tangents sometimes that are hard to follow. But yeah, I, I, I did not find it a scintillating <laughs> read. No, no. I think only one student in my Humanities One class actually was like, I like this so much. This is fun to read. And is that student now a philosophy major? Yes, that student is a philosophy major. <laughs> Great. Yep. Um, but I love virtue theory. Um, and I love the way Aristotle lays out the virtues as this sort of position of moderation between the two extremes, the vice of excess, the vice of defect, and that he creates an ethical system that allows for the fact that none of us are ever going to be perfect. And we don't judge people for erring, um, that we learn throughout our lives and we work with our natural dispositions. And we also don't blame people for those dispositions either. So I think it's a beautiful ethical system that he designs, which is why I like that text so much. Well, and it's funny that um, that is your favorite book, because one of the things we talked about as we were preparing for this podcast is that there is a difference between what we think of as our favorite books and then those books that we think they may not be our favorite books. And yet we think that they are really good for teaching purposes. And Aristotle's book was actually on that list for me. Ooh. Oh, okay. So I want you to then explain to me why why is that so helpful for teaching? Well, I think it's really helpful for teaching, I think at a Christian school, in part because I think it's really important for our students to realize that prior to Christianity, there were people thinking about ethics and that it's maybe potentially interesting, um, maybe even a little concerning to see how close some of those virtues are to what then become Thomas Aquinas's virtues and become part of what we sort of accept as Christian virtues. And I think too, especially in the first semester of students' first year, that issue that you mentioned about habits and the importance of habits, mm -hmm. that is also something to, you know, worth pausing on with students. So that's why I think it's really good in terms of teaching, even though, yeah, it's a little bit of a slog for me, Carrie. Right. It's not the one you like the most, but it's really good to, it's fun to teach. Yeah. So 
Okay. So Aristotle might be your favorite. What is then one that um, you think is one like, this is a good one to teach. This is fun to teach. Um, so I really, I think my favorite thing to teach from humanities one is Dante, um, his purgatory. <laughs> this is um, so great, by the way, because I thought that we would have absolutely nothing in common in terms of our book lists. Yeah, I wasn't sure how this was going to turn out in terms of commonality. And we may diverge at some point. And oh, we will. Completely <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I like the reason I like teaching Dante um, is partially just because it's fun, right? It's, it's a work of, you know, it's a, a poem, but it's also kind of a, it, it reads like a play, a, you know, an epic, um, an epic story. Mm-hmm. And so that's a little bit more fun than just a treat, a philosophical treatise. Uh, mm-hmm. But also because I think it's a really brilliant um, way to think about acquiring virtue and ha- that habit formation that you just talked about. Um, it's a little bit more fun for me to say, hey, remember these ideas that we read in, say, Plato, Aristotle, um, Aqu- uh, Aquinas. Mm-hmm. Here's what it looks like in a visual, in a, sort of a visually imagined sense. And that's really fun for the students to see the sort of habit formation that Dante is getting at. Yeah, I would like to spend maybe three or four weeks, preferably in Italy, doing uh, an extended workshop on Dante with a bunch of sort of fellow teachers, a few really fantastic scholars, and really unpack everything in Dante. Because I always feel like when I'm teaching purgatory to students, I'm getting maybe a third Mm -hmm. of what's actually in the book. Yes. My, um, one of my best friends from high school, when she was in college, she wrote her undergraduate honors dissertation on music in Dante. And she and I have actually talked about there is a Dante conference every summer in Florence that the two of us were thinking once the COVID is over and we can travel safely again, that seems like a good conference to, to hook up to. I think that sounds fabulous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah. so now, but I want to get back to, so you you like teaching Aristotle the most, but you don't like reading it. What is your favorite book to read from Humanities One? Do you have any guesses, Carrie? No, well, now I kind of want to say Dante, just because then we would have the, <laughs> the inverse. No, so Dante was also like a second choice for teaching. Um, and so my first choice, I like a good story. Mm-hmm. So it's Virgil. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love the Aeneid. I, I was, that was also one where I was not looking forward to reading that prior to reading it for the first time. And I was reading through it and I was, cause I thought, oh, it's just going to be about like this guy doing this like epic journey. And I'm already bored just even hearing about this. But the thing that just, I thought what nobody talked Um, Dido, love Dido, love all of the goddesses, Juno, Venus, man, they are fantastic. They are just causing all sorts of trouble. I love that. Um, Love Camilla. I was just going to say, yeah. Man, so I just thought, well, if I had known there were so many awesome sort of female or goddesses in the book, I don't think I would have nearly had... um, the kind of attitude I had going in. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I actually, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, well, part of why I also like Dante is he's a great conversation partner with Virgil. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously the model um, that he's sort of build, building his divine comedy around. But yeah, I agree with you that Virgil every semester is the text that I'm least excited to get into. And then as soon as I start doing it, I'm like, this is fantastic. This is so much fun. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's also funny because we, we don't have time to read the entire thing. Right. And so when I had read the entire thing and was starting to think like, what couldn't, what, what didn't we need to read with students? I had cut out the parts about um, games and all that kind of stuff. And I remember talking with Kevin Craig, our former um, sort of Greek and Roman historian here at Bethel, and he was saying that he was a little disappointed in me for cutting out all the game stuff because for um, Virgil's audience, that would have been their favorite part. Oh, oops. All the bloodiness and the competition among men, like that would have been their favorite part. So I have probably destroyed Virgil for the true classicists, but anyway, there it is. Um, is there anything else we need to talk about with regard to Humanities One? It's funny because I would say for students, we have not mentioned probably the student favorite. What do you think the student favorite is? I, I have a thought. Okay, so one of, my, one of my thoughts from Humanities One is just that probably, I don't know if it's a favorite, but um, in terms of what sticks with them um, in a disturbing way, the Bacchae, um, <laughs> I think it's just so they've, they've mostly never read anything like it. It's so distressing. Um, and because it's right at the beginning of the semester, you can see the look of, of shock and horror on students' faces as they're trying to make sense of this play. Yeah, the part where the mother is like bringing her, you know, son who she has mm -hmm. ripped apart. Yes, yeah. his head on a pike and all that. I know. Do we need to rethink how we start the semester with first-year <laughs> students? I mean, that, that is kind of brutal. Mm -hmm. But we also start with um, Plato's Apology, right. though, too. Exactly. Yeah, it's technically the second class right. level. Or so we do class. start with rationalism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So what do you think is the, the student favorite? I think the student favorite is um, Confessions. Mm -hmm. They love the sincerity of Augustine. They love um, the way that it seems to connect, I think, with what they, they are feeling. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think based on what you said about Aristotle being really helpful for teaching, I think Augustine gives them a great, a great articulation of that as he ends up saying, you know what, my conversion to Christianity came through Neoplatonism. Mm -hmm. As I read these books and thought, wow, this is remarkably close to what I think this, this religion is saying. Mm -hmm. um, so they can maybe see a bit of that and get a bit of comfort from it. Yeah. And I would say the other text that I think probably doesn't necessarily show up as a fan favorite, but I betcha students have thought about a little bit during especially this pandemic is Julian mm -hmm. and the sort of idea that all will be well. I think we're all clinging to that idea. <laughs> yes. In the, in the midst of suffering. Yes. yes. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Is there any book, um, and this is really your department more than mine, is there a book that you think we should read in Humanities 1 that we don't yeah. read? 
You're right. This is my, well, I don't know. If, I mean, I guess it's my department, but it's also the area that I just have a lot of strong, strong opinions on. And yeah. I really, really, if we could add at one, I would suggest one of two, something by Avicenna or something by Averroes. Um, I just think, and, and Averroes would be probably a little bit more accessible um, because they ask such interesting questions. And I think it would be so helpful for students to see, oh, like, Avicenna in the Islamic world is giving an ontological argument like Anselm's mm -hmm. and Averroes is interested in the relationship between faith and reason in the same way Aquinas and Dante are. Mm -hmm. So I think some of those conversations would be really fun to have with students. Yeah, I, I agree too um, that as much as we want students to get the sort of story of Western humanities, it's really important to see that Western culture does not develop in a vacuum and that right. there are and that our, right, our stand, like the way we define Western culture is arbitrary and set on, set based on sort of enlightenment era ideas of what was civilized and what was not. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at, you know, humanities one, especially the Western and Eastern world, that doesn't really even make any sense as a, as a category, at least I would say that. Well, you can say that. So moving into Humanities 2, we have a shorter list of texts for Humanities 2, but let's, let's start with your favorite for Humanities 2. My favorite that I, in terms of just liking the, yes. the text itself, uh, Erasmus. I like Erasmus a lot. I think every time you say your favorite, it's going to be like, it's not my favorite, but I really think it's important to teach. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> So, so what, why is Erasmus your favorite? Um, Erasmus is my favorite because I see him as this, and you know, this connects to some of the stuff we do in humanities three and four. Um, so he, he's also good to teach, but I like the sort of, because I have this tendency myself, I see problems, but I'm unwilling to just throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I like the way he writes to try <laughs> to articulate that yes, Luther is right in a lot of his judgments, but um, he will remain with the church as the church remains with him, even as he is imperfect. Um, and I like that way of approaching societal change, um, change within the church. I also like that he just is a good Catholic theologian. And so he makes use of a lot of Aristotle because I like Aristotle. Yeah, and I was gonna say in terms of his writing, and the way that he articulates his thoughts, I could see him having a similar personality to you. Mm -hmm. Yes. I have a feeling we would be friends. I think you would. He would be on my, like my list of my pandemic dinner list. Huh? If you can have people who are alive and dead, I would love to have Erasmus at my pandemic dinner. And I would like to serve you dinner. <laughs> Both of you. Um, Yes, but have no burden of conversation. Yeah. And you know what? I actually think now that I'm thinking back to teaching humanities to last interim, that several of the students who were in humanities two with us ended up saying things like, oh, Pefli is sort of like Erasmus and mm -hmm. Lee Flat is sort of like Luther <laughs> in terms of our own personalities. Wow. Yeah. Now would Eric be flattered by that or offended is my question. Know. We will have to ask. Yeah, we're going to have to interview him at some point soon to ask yeah. that question. 
That's fabulous. Um, so Erasmus is once again on my, like the Erasmus Luther debate is on my must teach is great to teach kind of a thing. I think for me, it's the appeal of Erasmus is everything you've mentioned, but also the fact that because he is Catholic, I think a lot of students in the Bethel culture who are not Catholic culturally have kind of a knee-jerk reaction to Catholics as we have done away with this mm -hmm. as Protestants and it's probably a little bad. And so it's really fascinating for me to see Protestant students reading Luther in conversation with Erasmus and going, oh, actually, I think in this one, I kind of agree with Erasmus. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that one because I think it shows some um, evolution that's happening in the way that students are able to process what they're reading. It shows that their powers of analysis are growing, that they're willing to maybe put away um, certain kinds of cultural prejudices. So I really like Erasmus and Luther for teaching. Yes. And I think that's a good point because you see those skills of analysis of being able to separate from their own ideas and conceptions of what it means to be a person of faith in their particular tradition. And you also see them, I think, start to make a distinction between the message and the tone mm. um, that some of them actually are sort of struggling because they actually do agree with Luther and message, but the tone is so upsetting <laughs> that they can't help but be more attracted to Erasmus's arguments because the tone is so much better. Well, it's always fun to see Lutherans at Bethel as students have that kind of moment of, oh, I had no idea that we Lutherans thought that about predestination. Because mm -hmm. I don't know why Calvin has just been like given full credit for predestination, but it's always kind of a fun moment to see that. No, actually, Luther came first mm -hmm. and maybe um, he didn't kind of double down in the way that Calvin will later, but actually they would have had much in common on this one. Really? So. Very Always fun. Yeah. First teaching. Mm -hmm. So my favorite will not surprise you again, given my love of stories, because it's the only story we do read. And that is, of course, Henry V. And there we have overlap as well. So you like to teach it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So talk to me about teaching. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's the most enjoyable to teach partially because it gets me out of my comfort zone. So I think it's stretching for me as an instructor uh -huh. to be in an area where I have to help students think through acting, setting things up, mm -hmm. um, staging, uh, staging things, and putting myself into the mindset of the student or the position of the student the way I would have been at 18 mm -hmm. and thinking, please don't make me get on a stage in front of a whole bunch of people and doing this. But then seeing the process of their transition from the students who are mortified that we're making them do this to how well they do oh, yeah. that, that last night of the performance is just, it's so much fun um, yeah. to see them transform and work so hard to do that. So I think that's why I like I like the process of teaching it the most. Yeah. And of course, I love the story in that um, I love that Shakespeare gives you so many different ways to read the different characters. Like, is Henry a good king or is Henry have maybe some ulterior motives? And it's fun to see then how students interpret that character um, and the mm -hmm. way that they portray him on the stage. So, yeah, yeah. 
And it's a nice, I think it is a nice way of, I mean, it's fun to read because you get a take on the rise of the nation state um, and all of the things socio-politically that are going on at that point, but told through this really interesting, maybe Machiavellian character. Correct. Yeah. And that's another one where I feel like we really just need more time because in order to make sense of Henry V, I do agree with our colleague in the English department that in fact, we probably need to have some time Henry IV, which, you know, but there's yeah. only so much time in so many books, plays. Right. And we're trying to do a lot in humanities too. It's mm-hmm. to do the Protestant and Catholic reformations and Henry V is a lot to bite off in three weeks. Yeah. I will say that um, one of my other favorite experiences is watching uh, Wayne Rosa in the past lecture about Baroque art and Bernini's Teresa in ecstasy. Um, That's not one that I can really even talk about, but just know that that happened and it was so good. Yes. Magnificent. I think that's another, maybe like the Bacchae from Humanities One, a very memorable moment for all of the students in Humanities Two. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. Um, Carrie, is there something, like we can't squeeze in anymore in, hum- in Humanities Two, but is there something you would love to squeeze into Humanities Two? Oh yeah, for humanities too. I didn't even think about squeezing anything else in because it is it is so packed. I would probably put more. This is going to sound so nerdy. I would put more of the canons of the Council of Trent, sure, <laughs> um, in and more um, more uh, Jesuit. I think Jesuit philosophy from that particular period because the Jesuits are so important. They're new, um, a new movement. Uh, around that point, I think would be really interesting to see some of the philosophy of that particular period. I like that. What about you? Well, I was just saying, you know, Henry IV, like at another. Oh yeah, that's right. And quite honestly, I would love, I mean, this would be a radical departure from what we do, but um, I do like the idea of reading something like Hamlet or, you know, a different play. When I first started teaching, we taught Macbeth. And that was really fun. I remember um, finding that really, really, I mean, again, very different nature. And I, I don't know that it would fit super well with the way we now do humanities too, but Macbeth was amazing to teach. Yeah, it's just a weird play. It is. Good old Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Good old Shakespeare. Okay, moving on to humanities three. Do you have a favorite text for humanities three? Mm-hmm. It's so here I'm going to jump out of my normal philosophical oh. treatise and go into Voltaire. I love Candide oh, funny. so much. Um, and it's not just, I mean, I, I think it's fun to teach, but it's the text that I like the most. I love, I, maybe this is because I think sometimes philosophers take ourselves way too seriously. Okay that there is this philosopher who's kind of mocking enlightenment philosophy. Um, and, and certainly through the character of Pangloss, mocking Leibnizian overconfidence in philosophical systems. Um, and this is part of me also being a medievalist and looking toward the enlightenment saying, they are overly confident about how much better they are than, than the way things were. And in certain ways that's true but also all of this enlightenment also comes along with 
all of these really, really negative side effects. So I think it's really interesting kind of cultural commentary, um, as well as maybe a little bit of an elbow to philosophers to like, hey, lighten up, don't take yourself so seriously. But you know, this is where we have no um, connection. Voltaire is on neither of my two lists. How sad. Now, I will say, like the the incident involving the old woman who tells the tale of how she's lost a butt cheek. Yes. um, That is funny. That did make me laugh out loud. And there's that one reference about, you know, the a taste for sugar and the connection to slavery. Mm -hmm. That one, again, that that hits me pretty solidly. So, I mean, it's not like I don't appreciate, but it's it's Mm -hmm. definitely not on my list, but this is from a person who, who has told her students that my kind of humor is um, really involving physical comedy. So when people fall, I'm the person who will laugh. So let's just blame it on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a hard time choosing just one text as far as my favorite for Humanities 3. Well, this is when we hit your, your area yeah. a little bit more. So I really had a hard time deciding between is it Frederick Douglass's autobiography is it Zikalasa's um, American Indian stories and I think this semester I'm feeling more Zikalasa um, just because I so appreciate hearing from a woman I appreciate hearing from a woman who is also a Native American who is able to articulate what the process of assimilation looks like for her and for her people. And um, yeah, so I really, I really like those stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I do love teaching Zit Kalasa and reading um, her stories are because we don't hear from very many women. That's she's probably the third woman that we hear from. We've got Julian and then Mary Rowlandson. Mm-hmm. And then Zid Kalasa, and especially because of Mary Rowlandson's story, right? Zid Kalasa's story is so important, right? Whereas Mary Rowlandson is talking about the process of being taken captive by Native Americans and is expressing a very sort of what we would expect from a Protestant Calvinist settler, right? Um, we've got the sort of reverse of the story in um, Zid Kalasa. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they work really well together. Actually, they really do. Um. So what is on your list as far as really actually enjoy teaching it? I know what you're going to say. Well, and this is something that I never would have guessed, but, and I'm, you know, a shout out to our colleague in English, Dan Ritchie, yeah. um, Tocqueville. Um, I love, I love, um, oh yeah. Not the other thing that, that Dan Ritchie. Um, I have the other thing on my list. So. <laughs> yes. We'll come um, back but I like Tocqueville is one of those figures that I also like, I just keep coming back to him. We end up talking about as societies change, mm-hmm. um, those, those customs habits, morays are so important. And can you create laws mm-hmm. to make people change? Mm-hmm. Um, and so Tocqueville is the text that I would say in humanities for, I end up referring back to most frequently. So maybe this is a little bit of a a bad answer because I don't necessarily love teaching it the most at the moment, but I end up seeing how important those connections are later on. And that I think relates exactly to the, a a different text for you that you like teaching most. Well, 
Okay. And I just was thinking, of course, what's also really nice about Tocqueville to go back to Aristotle is that Aristotle actually talks about the connection between habit and law and that good laws are meant to encourage us to form good habits. Right. And so um, Tocqueville, of course, is saying, well, you know, what's the relationship between those habits and then law and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. good talking partners again. Um, yeah. yeah. So again, I can't believe I'm about to say this. I absolutely hate reading Edmund Burke. I will be happy to go on record <laughs> and say I hate reading Edmund Burke. I feel the pain of my students while we are reading Edmund Burke. But I love reading Edmund Burke and Thomas Paine together. I think, again, they pair really well with the Luther Erasmus debate. Yes. Because once again, we have this idea, this question of when change needs to be made, how do you do change? And so, whereas Erasmus is saying, let's change within existing structures and keep the good and make incremental changes. Luther says, no, we need to like get rid of it. We got the same situation with Burke and Payne. Burke is more Erasmian. Is that? Yeah. Sure. I just made it one. And then we've got um, Payne, who is definitely more in the camp of um, Mr. Luther. So did your students think that Eric was at all Payneian? I don't know, but and, well, and were you the Burke then? No, I don't think so. Cause I think it was more the tone. Mm. I don't know. Or maybe the fact that Eric gave the Luther lecture and I gave the Erasmus lecture, yeah. whereas it was different for Burke and Payne. Yeah. I don't know, but we should, again, we could like interview some of the students to see whether they, they did see any, gosh, that would be interesting if people thought of me as Burkean. Yeah. It would crack up my brother who is actually Burkean. Oh, Mm -hmm. well, there you go. So, yeah. Um, I also think that, that, that set of texts absolutely belongs in my category overall of things that I think are the most fantastic to teach, even though I do not enjoy the process of reading them. And I never look, I always dread the Burke and Payne days, but they're so fantastic in terms of connections back, as you said, back to humanities too, and then forward to even thinking about the civil rights movement um, and and Martin Luther King's uh, letter Mm -hmm. um, talking about social change and and how fast it should move. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the beauty of the Federalists is that they find a way to um, kind of reconcile Payne with Burke in that they agree with the principles of Payne, but then set up a system that really allows for more of a Burkean approach to mm-hmm. change. So, yeah. Anyway. Okay. So humanities three, um, anything you think we, Oh, sorry. You were going to say something, Carrie. Go I, ahead. Think I, was gonna, I think I was just going to answer what you were about to ask yeah. in terms of anything that we might add in. Yeah. To, so I actually have two um, for okay. this. Like, I couldn't quite decide, but I really, I mean, so Voltaire is the only philosophy that the students read during humanities three. And it's not, you know, it's, it's, a satire. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really think John Locke is so important. Um, right. So I would really love to do that. And then the other thing, 
Um, the other um, person I'd really like to see is Mary Volstonecraft. Oh yeah. To get uh, uh, another um, woman writer and a really, really important, like a, a person talking about the importance of rights um, mm -hmm. and liberty, but also saying, hey, women also should be included in these conversations about equality. Well, and that would make the discussion that we have about Frankenstein all the more interesting just because, you know, Mary Wollstonecraft's daughter is Mary Shelley and exactly, you know, and that's another one that we didn't mention, but I definitely enjoy teaching. Oh, yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, I, it, I struggle with what to add to Humanities 3. Um, again, we have dabbled with the idea of maybe replacing Burke and Payne with Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. And I would be curious to see how that would work. I don't feel certain that it would work well, but that's definitely something I thought about. And then I would be very curious to see what it would be like to read Huck Finn with Humanities Three students. Just because um, that's sometimes one that students have read maybe in grade school, but I wonder if it looks different having read, say, Frederick Douglass. Yeah. But yes. And yeah, developmentally by that point, they would be more attuned to some of those. And I always feel a little bad that we don't get in something from, um, say, an immigrant. So I'm thinking like Mary Anton has written a book called The Promised Land, which was sort of a memoir about her experience as a Jewish immigrant to the United States and a woman and like the different kinds of opportunities she experienced, the different kinds of setbacks. And it's hard to think about that one because I'm not sure it fits the sort of qualification of a great book, but then what does? So mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Again, we just need more time. We do. Yeah. This needs to be a four-year course. It does need to be a four-year course. Or at least a two-year course. Yeah. It was a little bit easier when it was a two-year course. Right. That's very true. Okay. Um, so that leaves us with then Humanities 4. It's hard to even be able to sort of think retrospectively about a semester that I feel like I'm still digesting because we're in. But mm -hmm. favorite text for you, Carrie Puffley, from Humanities 4? Um, I got to come back to what we talked about last week. It's definitely Camus, um, his The Stranger. I like it so much. And it also, like, I really do like teaching it too. It's one of those rare texts where I think, I like it and it shows in this really, really intense way. I mean, I think the students can always tell when we're excited about or we really like a text, but it doesn't always translate into a text that teaches well for us. This is one where it does. And I just, I love reading The Stranger every time I reread it. <laughs> oh, so we were wrapping up our discussion of The Stranger today. And mm -hmm. it's very interesting to see people get so... Um, well, whipped up about it. Like I had some very passionate reactions and frustrated mm -hmm. passionate reactions. And I, I think it'll be interesting to see how students respond to putting him into conversation with Moltmann, which uh -huh. they have to do for their last sort of yes. Yes. They seemed, they seemed like they thought that was a good idea. The, that last, the last question that we're asking them. Yeah. And I, one in a bar. Yeah. 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 And I, I think it is a good one because I, I did say, well, you know, they're both grappling with the same world mm -hmm. and they're like, Oh yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. They seem so different. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe because of the, the reasons that 
maybe students like Julian of Norwich, the, the idea mm-hmm. that all will be well in the midst of suffering. Mm-hmm. Maybe I keep coming back to liking the stranger because it provides another take. Maybe there is no meaning whatsoever. And right. that challenges me to really wonder um, about what I'm doing in the light of all of the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. Um, I went in a different direction with my favorite pick mm-hmm. from Humanities 4. And again, it's partly because we read Frankenstein. I really love that we start off the semester with Dracula. And that's my favorite to teach. So we, there we have oh, overlap as well. There we have overlap again. So it's, you really are the yin to my yang or the yang yeah. to my yin. I don't know what, which one it is, but yeah. I love that book. I love reading it every summer when I read it. I'm ever, I'm still creeped out when I'm reading it. Um, I feel seduced by Dracula. Um, I am, I love Mina. I feel angry every time at Van Helsing. I, I just, I feel very passionate about yes, that. When he puts her in a corner and says, Oh, you've been helpful, but now we need to protect you. And the protection doesn't work. That's so fascinating. Like, right. what is this? What is, what is Bram thinking there? Like, I, I think it's very interesting. Like men's protection of women is not effective. Right. It's not effective. Right. And yet they're the ones who get to, you know, kill and stab there at the end. So it's, it's all very interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's your favorite one to teach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I would say it gets a close second in terms of my enjoyment. Mm-hmm. I, I love reading Dracula. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one that I think it reads, it's super creepy. It always Mm -hmm. scares me. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something amazingly creepy and sexy about vampires, which Mm -hmm. I think everyone I'm watching right now. I told all my students this today. I'm watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer right now. (laughs) That's how I got through graduate school. (laughs) It's so, it's so campy and great. And I like it so much. Um, And, you know, I think we talked to the students about, how monster stories are so important and vampires I think are, are especially scary. But I think in terms of setting up humanities for Dracula introduces the issues that we talk about in humanities for so brilliantly so that we get to the end of our discussion on this creepy fun book and the students realize, oh, we're gonna be talking about colonialism and industrialization and feminism and all of these things that are that are seen as scary and monstrous that's what we're going to talk about so i think it's maybe the most brilliant beginning to a course right on the edge of the 20th century everything as you know it is about to fall apart right we will persist in trying to find some meaning up until world war ii and then after world war ii there's a whole nother level of chaos that ensues but um yeah um favorite book for me to teach is I again I think I'm all about the conversation partners so this semester it was actually Howard Thurman in conjunction with the Langston Hughes poem Goodbye Christ Mm -hmm. and again this idea of taking seriously like why western Christianity doesn't make sense for the so-called disinherited. And yet then Thurman is gonna say, no, actually it does. And so I, I think that conversation is a really interesting one. And I love, I deeply love Langston Hughes. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And they, those, those two people really do make a great 
um, they make great conversation partners. Yeah. What would you add to humanities for if you could add something? That I feel like it could be helpful to have someone because they get with Thurman, Mm -hmm. um, a a nod toward, and and with Moltmann, I suppose as well, a nod toward liberation theology. I would love to have someone from the liberation theology school or feminist or womanist theology. Mm -hmm. I actually have a student writing on the role of, of, women in in theology and she was very distressed that like oh we get charlotte perkins gilman and we get virginia wolf and we talk about the problem of the new woman and rauschenbusch makes me mad when he talks about women but we don't actually get any female voices from within um theology yeah and i think you i I don't think it i don't think you can talk about the 20th century without talking like tony morrison i mean i mean that's i i feel like we have to read a Toni Morrison novel. Yeah. So that's probably um, one that I would add. Yeah. But yeah. Um, Carrie, I'm aware of the time um, and I actually have one more class to teach. So um, quickly, what's on your nightstand? So from last week, readers will know that we talked about Camus, The Stranger, and then kind of a post-colonial companion written this decade um, the Merceau investigations. And so that is now on my nightstand. I started reading it as soon as I got it. And then I put it on pause because I've been teaching the stranger for the past, you know, two class sessions. Oh, and Anne-Marie has it right up in front of her face right now. So I just checked out my copy from the library and I'm looking forward to placing it on my nightstand. I just wrapped up the Widow of the South. I cannot recommend it, folks. It is, yeah. Right, you were kind of iffy about yeah. it. Cannot okay. recommend it. I will say though, another thing that's not exactly on my night shelf, but I'm reading it with Lydia, is the Earth Sea series by Ursula Le Guin. And I would recommend that. Okay. So that's She's really like important. Pick. I've never read anything by her. I yeah. should add her to my, to my reading list. Slow read, but it's definitely gotten to the point that I am now, I now have the second and third books because we're kind of getting toward the end of the first one. So that was a recommendation from our librarian, Rhonda. So thank you to all the good people who surround us, including Sam and everybody else. But um, you've been listening to Bookish at Bethel. Bethel.